churches reported no baptisms last year. We need revival. Our ministry's main statement is the only thing that will change this world is the passionate preaching of the Word of God. So for the next hour, join us for some passionate, powerful preaching. Join us as we discuss topics related to the church, revival, and the Word of God. Join us as we help the world revive the passion of preaching. Praise and worship is when the man of God graces the holy desk and with the anointing of the Holy Ghost preaches without fear or favor and the power of Jesus falls on him and he preaches this word not caring what anybody thinks but the Holy Spirit and the living God if preaching won't do it there is no better method powerful preaching I want, to tell you I want you to take this book cover to cover and I want you to quit camouflaging the gospel and trying to please this generation that's watering you down but I want you to say so you believe in hell and heaven and sin and righteousness and conversion and miracles and the power of the living God don't you try to disguise it to please some pseudo intellectual you just say so say so say so Hello, Josh Spears here with Reviving the Passion of Preaching Ministries. Thank you for joining us again today for this second season of our podcast episodes. I hope these sermons and interviews have been a great blessing to you, and I hope that especially today will be an encouragement to you because I'm preaching. I want to share with you my heart behind this ministry. Through a message that God gave me several years ago comparing the office of pastors with the ministry of angels. The sermon is entitled, The Angel of the Lord. The pastor I surrendered to preach under, Brother Donnie Boutwell, encouraged me when I surrendered to preach to love preachers and love preaching, and I do. And I want you to know, preacher out there, I love you. And uh, I want you to know that this ministry is here for you. We're praying for you. And I hope this message is a real encouragement to you to remind you the special calling, uh, remind you about the special calling that God has put in your life. To the church that would listen to this, I, I preach this message to encourage the church to remember that the pastor was a gift given by God to the church. And that office is special. And to be honored as, as much as we can honor that office. To love our pastors, to love our preachers as much as we can love them. And so I, I believe this message will be an encouragement to you. This will be from my heart to you, the angel of the Lord. In the meantime, please remember to check out our website. That's www.revivingthepassion.com. Again, that's www.revivingthepassion.com. On there, you'll see a link to our YouTube channel. Please subscribe to us on YouTube. And please subscribe to our podcast channel and continue to share these podcast episodes with as many people as possible so we can be a blessing to as many people as possible. Also, like us on Facebook. You can find a link to our Facebook ministry page on uh, our website. Well, without further ado, here is this message that God placed on my heart, the angel of the Lord. Take your Bibles, turn to the book of Psalm, chapter 104, verse 4. Psalm chapter 104 and verse 4. Once you found that, if you would please stand for the reading of the Word of God. Psalm 104 
verse 4. Who maketh his angels spirits, his ministers a flaming fire. Father, in the precious name of Jesus, I come to you. Lord, I ask that all of you and none of me be involved in your message. Lord, and I do ask if any of me gets involved in it, that you sit me down and hush me. Lord, I pray you'll just move and work among your people. For the preachers that are here, I pray this message will be a challenge and an encouragement. And God, for the people who are not preachers here, I pray it will also be a challenge and an encouragement both to remember how much you've invested in the church by giving them the gift of the pastor. And not only that, Lord, but to rejoice over that gift. Father, I thank you for these men that have been here throughout this weekend. I pray for every one of them. And I pray you'll give them strength in their churches and in their ministries that you've called them to. Lord, I love you. Thank you for loving us first. In Jesus' name, amen. I love preachers. The pastor I surrendered under, Brother Donnie Batwell, taught me, said, Brother Josh, love preachers and love preaching. You want to know why this conference was started? That's it. He drilled that into me. And I, my heroes, I, I never had superheroes growing up. I never had music heroes or anything like that. My heroes were preachers. I surrendered to preach when I was 17. And that's all I've ever done until uh, right before I came to this church. And the ministry means a great deal to me because I know I'm called to preach. Let me tell you something, preacher. It's a privilege to be a preacher. And the blessings way outweigh the burdens. If you were to look in the book of Revelation, I, I, I've done a lot of study in my ministry on this subject of angels. And there are people that have some different ideas on angels. And uh, when you get to preach, you can present your ideas. But since I'm preaching, I'm going to relate to you what I've studied. Some people believe that there are three types of angels. I believe that there are two types of angels. It is noteworthy to know that some people believe that an archangel is a separate type of angel. However, I find that Satan is both looked at in the type of an archangel, but he's also called a cherub. And so... I believe there are two types of angels. I believe they are the seraphim and the cherubim. And we see the seraphim in Isaiah chapter 6. And all they do when we see them is they worship and honor and praise the Lord. They honor God on His throne. And they have six wings. With two wings they cover their feet because they're not worthy to step on the same ground that God is. We find that God told Moses when he was at the burning bush, Moses, take your shoes off your own holy ground. Amen. With two, they cover their face. They're not worthy to look upon, upon God. Well, we're not worthy to look upon God. Thank God he saved the people that weren't worthy to look upon him. And then with two, they flew. And one cried unto the other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. 
Every time we see the seraphim in Scripture, we see them praising and honoring God. And then we see the cherubim. The cherubim, for lack of a better term, seem to be God's FBI. Now, God doesn't need guarding Himself. He can take care of Himself very well. But why God does things, I don't know. You'd have to ask Him when you get to heaven. But He has an order of things. And His order for the cherubim is that they guard God's holy things and they guard God's holy people. That's what we see them doing. We see the cherubim on top of the mercy seat, guarding the mercy seat of the Ark of the Covenant. We see the cherubim guarding the Garden of Eden with a flaming sword at the gate. We see cherubim all throughout the Bible guarding God's holy things. And I want you to know I believe in guardian angels, and I'm going to talk more about that in a minute. But I, I believe that there are angels that God has sent on assignment. And as I began to study the subject of angels, I came to a very interesting passage of Scripture. In Revelation chapter 2 and 3, you don't have to turn there, but you remember the passage well. How Jesus, to the letters of the, of the seven churches of Asia, opens up with this phrase, to the angel of the church of Ephesus, to the angel of the church of Thyatira, to the angel of the church of Philadelphia, to the angel of the church of Laodicea, and so on. And I began to wonder who that was talking about. And I discovered that it was a reference to the pastors of these churches. And when I saw that, I began to wonder, well, why would God refer to the pastor as an angel? And I began to study the office of the pastor and the mission of angels. And I began comparing them. And I discovered a few things. By way of introduction, I discovered that they are messengers of God. But now, if, only, if the only thing that wanted to be conveyed through the inspiration of Scripture was that the pastors are messengers, there's other Greek words for the word messenger. There's other Greek words for the word pastor, bishop, overseer, shepherd. There's other words to convey. So why did, through the inspiration of Scripture, God pick the word angel to describe His men? And I noticed that they, number one, they speak for God. Now, I want you to notice they don't speak as God. They can't take God's place, nor do they possess His power. And preachers, we need to remember, we can't take God's place, nor do we possess His power. We go only on the authority and strength and power of God. That's how we operate. Without God, we can't do nothing. You can't pastor a church by yourself. You don't have it in you. We are His representatives, just as angels are His representatives. Not only are they messengers for God, but also, and this is the sermon, that was introduction. They share the same assignments. They share the same assignments. And I want to share with you five things that angels and pastors share in their assignments. Before I get to that, though, going back to the fact that we cannot operate on our own. We speak for God, not as God. I don't have my own words to stand up here and preach. Sometimes when I get behind the pulpit, I feel like Moses. God, I don't have my own words. I, I'm, I'm, I'm not a great speaker. I, 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 you know, if I was a great speaker, I think I'd have a television show and maybe making Joel's money. Amen? 
But you know what? It's not about that. Preachers, it's okay for us to admit we don't have the words to say to people. Because if you have your own words, and if you can operate by your own strength, why would you need the Lord? Maybe you think, as it's been said many times, maybe you think you're out there in podunk number nine, pastoring a place that, that won't ever do nothing for God, but, you know, I'm reminded of a few things. How about this? He's all I need. He's all I need. Jesus is all I need. How about this? Does the place you're called to labor seem so small and little known? It is great if God is in it, for he'll not forsake his own. Little is much when God is in it. Labor not for wealth or fame. There's a crown and you can win it if you'll go in Jesus' name. Dr. R.G. Lee, you said that Jesus is heaven's bread for earth's hunger, heaven's water for earth's thirst, heaven's light for earth's darkness, heaven's answers to earth's questions, heaven's, earth, uh, earth, heaven's glory for earth's shame, heaven's grace for earth's guilt, heaven's wisdom for earth's folly, heaven's diagnosis for earth's illness, heaven's cure for earth's diseases. You say, why didn't you memorize this? Because I'm not R.G. Lee. Heaven's direction for earth's adventure, heaven's victory for earth's defeat, heaven's peace for earth's strife, heaven's joy for earth's sorrow, heaven's life for earth's death. Heaven's kindness, first bitterness. Heaven's justification, first condemnation. Heaven's salvation, first damnation. Heaven's truth, first lie. And Jesus is everything. And to the preacher, Jesus is everything. You don't have your ministry. You're a representative of His ministry. Therefore, you don't speak your own words. You need His words. You don't need your own opinions or your own word from God. You need the Holy Spirit to meet with you and give you a word from heaven to give to your people. And you don't go by your own power. You go by His power. Dr. Leonard Ravenhill used to say, Preacher without a woe, don't go. But if you got a woe, a burden from the Lord. Preacher walked up to me one time and he was thinking about resigning his church. I said, let me ask you two questions. Brother Chris picks on me about this because I often say it to many, people, many preachers. I ask him first, do you have a love for the people? The answer is yes. Then I ask him this, do you have a burden for that, that place and those people? And if the answer is yes, a burden like that can only come from heaven. Every place that I've ever served, both as associate pastor, pastor, youth pastor, wherever God's called me, God has called me and supernaturally and immediately given me an unnatural... You know, if you were to walk out on the street and meet somebody and go, I love you, you'd probably get punched in the face. Especially in today's time. 
But let me tell you something. You, you may ask, when did I know I was called to this church? Was it the moment that they voted? And when I walked in the door and everyone stood up and in gladness that they'd called a new pastor? No. No, that wasn't it. Was it when the pulpit committee said, Brother Josh, we're going to recommend you to, uh, to the church to be voted on as pastor? No. Let me tell you when it was. It was the night I got off the phone with Dr. Dennis Deese, and he said, I'm going to recommend you to that church uh, that was looking at me in Florida. And that night I prayed and asked the Lord, and that night God told me this is where I was going. And the next day, I had a burden for a place that I had never been to. And a love for a people that I had never set eyes on. An unnatural love that automatically came to my heart, not from myself, but from heaven I can't, I've got a call from God on my life. And I can't sit on top of a mountain and take the pleasures that this life has to offer. My burden won't let me. My calling won't let me. You know, I'd rather walk through the valley of the shadow of death while the flames of hell are burning over the horizon with the blessed Savior holding my hand and guiding my words and giving me the message that Satan is a defeated foe and he's going to lose, and that people can be taken out of their shackles, out of their sorrow, bondage, and night into God's freedom, gladness, and light. So what are these assignments that the angels and pastors share? First of all, they defend in danger. They defend in danger. Number one, they defend the saints. Now, Pastors are scripturally referred to as God's shepherds watching over God's flock. Now remember, it's His flock. He hires us as shepherds. He also tells us not to be hirelings, but to be shepherds. That's very important. It's not just a job. It's my life. Charles Jefferson said, The heart of a man is like the heart of a sheep. It beats at the side of the shepherd. Pastors, they need us. They may not understand it. They need us. Matthew chapter 18, verse 10. You don't have to turn there. I don't have time for you to turn to every one of these scriptures so you can write them down or get the DVD. But it says in Matthew 18, 10, Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. Now Jesus had called some children to himself. And he was given an illustration about the kingdom of heaven using these children for an example. And he says, Take heed that you despise not one of these little ones, literally the children that were right there, but spiritually all of God's children, that in heaven their angels do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. Now, it's very important for you to notice it says their angels. You want proof of guardian angels? Here it is. The word there is a possessive pronoun. Possessive means I take possession. I've got an angel that watches over me. Pastor, I've never had to stand and preach one gospel message alone. 
I've never had to go and knock on a door and tell some drunk or somebody with a gun in their window about Jesus alone. Remember when I was in Washington State, I walked up to a lady and started telling her about Jesus. I said, I'm the pastor of the church down the road. And she looked down at her dog and said, sick him. And immediately that dog turned from sweet to bad. True story. First time I've ever run from a dog. I was in a wreck a few years ago. Pretty bad wreck. Brother Coy was my pastor. I was on my way to eat lunch with Brother Chase. That wreck was terrible. And the front end of my Jeep had been crushed in like a tin can. The side of my Jeep had been crushed in. The back, because when I hit the flatbed truck, my Jeep did a tilt-a-whirl. But right where I was sitting was the only spot that wasn't crushed in. Kind of like somebody was holding the Jeep open around me. I believe I know what happened. I believe there was an angel on assignment to defend me in my time of danger. The Bible talks about us entertaining angels unawares. God sends angels. Well, guess what? Pastors are the angel of the Lord. That's the title of my message today, the angel of the Lord. Pastors defend, your pe defend our people in times of danger. Out of all the times that angels have defended God's people, Elijah and his servant in the town of Dothan, the angels that defended the Israelites by playing one of the best baseball games that's ever been seen, times that angels have stepped in and defended God's people, have you ever thought to ask why they did that? Well, the people became their burden... Because the people were God's burden. Angels can't have a burden on their own. They can't understand salvation. They can't, they can't understand what we go through. They don't live like we do. They don't see things the way we do. They live in the spiritual. We live in the physical. There's a lot of differences. So why would they have a burden to help us? Because God gave them the burden. Why would you have a burden to go and defend somebody and pray for somebody that don't vote the way you want them to in a business meeting? Why would you want to go help somebody that's stinky and smelly? Why would you want to go and invite them to come to church and invite them to Jesus Christ? Why would you want to go and, and try to help somebody that just got through cussing you out or spitting on you? Because you have a special burden from the Lord. You're on assignment because that person is God's burden. They cared for them because the Father cared for them. And if we love the Father, we will love who He loves. And we'll do what He tells us to do. That's to minister, to shepherd. But I've seen some pastors that think that the church is made for them and not for them for the church. Folks, I have a what's called a shut-in ministry that I do every Thursday. And in that shut-in ministry, I visit a lady. Her name's Miss Shirley James. Most of our church people don't know who she is. 
She's been in a nursing home for quite some time. But before she got sick, she never moved her membership. As far as I know, she was faithful when she came, but it's been years since she's been here. And I never met her before she was sick. She has Alzheimer's. I go into the room, sometimes she's mad as a hornet. Sometimes she's as sweet as a child. She may not even know I was there. She's never going to bring any money to the offering plate. Her family doesn't go here anymore. I don't know if they ever will. I, she'll definitely never be able to darken the doors of our church again. And I could easily say, you know what, I'm, I'm just not going to see her. There's no positive thing about it. No one would know. But I'd know. And God has sent me here to pastor. And it may not make a difference here. But that lady was in a sound mind at one time. And I look for the day when I get to heaven and she says, Thank you, pastor. got a love, an unnatural love that God gave me from heaven. And pastors, in order to pastor effectively, you've got to love the people. Sometimes they're going to get mad at you for what you preach. They're going to get mad at you for what you do. They're going to get mad at you. But I heard an older preacher tell me this one time, and I've never forgotten it. He said, you know what, you can preach the toughest messages to your people as long as they know you love them. If they know you love them, then they may not like what you say, but they won't look at what you say and do. They'll look at your motivation behind it and look for the reason, and they'll support you all the way. And when they realize that they were wrong, they'll get on board if they know you love them. Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey them that have the rule over you. And I'm going to speak to church people. I've gotten on preachers long enough. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls. Just as pastors need to understand that they're there for the people and they're to love the people, the people need to understand how they respond to that love. About the pastor, Hebrews 13, 17 says, Obey them. Now, people don't like that when it comes to the pastor. But let me tell you something else. Women don't like it when it comes to their husbands either. Submit yourselves unto your husbands. I don't like that. Neither does the church like obey the pastor. Why would God set it up that way? That's God's order. God demands. I like how Dr. Adrian Rogers used to say they're not God's ten suggestions, they're God's ten commandments. Well, there are, command, there are New Testament commandments. And women, it's your responsibility to follow your husband. It's the church's responsibility to obey the pastor. But there's a condition. It really is. Wives, submit yourselves unto your husbands, even as to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. 
A woman can obey a man that lays down his life for her and makes sacrifices for her. A church can obey their pastor that sacrifices for them and loves them. It's the same order. It's the same order. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. Why? For they watch for your souls. It is our responsibility to defend them from false doctrine, to defend them from the wiles of the devil, to defend them in their time of danger. As they must give an account. Now this is a very humbling statement. I remember my grandpa when I was licensed to preach, I expected him to come up and hand me my license and him to tell me some, you know, pat me on the back, tell me some good things. But here's what he said, and I've never forgotten it. He said, Josh, I'm going to tell you this in front of all these people. See that license? It can be taken away from you just as quick as it was given to you. Don't you fail the Word of God. One day, every preacher, even the liberal ones, will stand before the God of heaven and give an account for what they've preached in their pulpit and how they've led their people. They must give account that they may do it with joy, not with grief, for that is unprofitable to you, to church people. It's unprofitable for you that your pastor would have to stand before the God of heaven and try to give an account for how he led and what he preached. And you have to stand there and he has to say his statements with grief because you didn't follow him. Ezekiel said, Thus saith the Lord God unto the shepherds, Woe be to the shepherds of Israel that do feed themselves. Should not the shepherds feed the flocks? Jeremiah said, Woe be unto the pastors that destroy and scatter the sheep of my pasture, saith the Lord. Present the word of authority. God told Moses, You're not going on your own authority. You tell them, I am sent you. You're going on my authority. First time I ever heard Dr. Bailey Smith preach. I hadn't been preaching very long. He came to Salem Heights Baptist Church in Laurel, Mississippi. And he preached a message that I one day really hope I get to hear again because I hadn't heard it since about uh, burning your barley fields. And I was sitting on the front row. He didn't know me from Adam. But he gave this illustration. And I, I can't remember whether you were talking about yourself, Brother Bailey, or whether you were talking about another preacher but anyway the story went the preacher the pastor of this church heard a knock on the door and a little child came to the door and said pastor my mom's asleep I can't wake her up pastor went over to the house and found the mother had committed suicide the father was out with some prostitute or some other woman something like that and he goes to that house and knocks on the door to let the man know that his wife had committed suicide and that his child was at his house. And the woman came to the door and, and said, uh, and the pastor said, I want to see so-and-so. And she said, he's not here. And he said, I know he is here. You go tell him his pastor is here to see him. We used to have that authority. Scripturally, we still have that authority. I'm speaking of church people. I, I, I served under a pastor that tried to tell me one time, don't get involved in people's lives if you want to stay in the ministry.
The only way you can make a difference is to get involved in their lives. Metal! You'll make a difference. But one day they'll thank God for you. I didn't appreciate my mom and dad whipping me when I was a kid, but today I thank God for it. Because I know they love me. And preachers, your people may not understand why you preach the whole counsel of God, but one day they'll look back and they'll thank God for you. But let me tell you something. Not only do they defend the saints, but secondly, they defend the Savior. It's not our primary responsibility to defend church people. It's our primary responsibility as men of God to defend His name. Can you imagine on the day of the crucifixion? I can see the angels who had had Jesus up there on His throne for all of eternity past. And now for 33 years they've been without Him. And there in the Garden of Gethsemane they put Him in chains. And the first punch happens. And then every angel in heaven. Listen, the Bible says that he could have called ten legions of angels. But really what that means is he could have called all the angels in heaven to come down at his bidding and destroy the world and take him out of it. At that punch, I can see every angel turn and step to the edge of the clouds of glory with a sword drawn, and they're ready. They're ready to charge, and then a voice from the throne of heaven, God says, stop, and they have to stop. But it took them a second. God the Father had to hold them back. They were ready to charge, ready to destroy, and God says, stop. You can't go. But God... They're hitting him. God, they just spit on him. God, they're putting nails in his hands. They're beating his, the skin off of his back. God, they're killing him. Let us do our job what we were created to do. You want to know why your pastor, it's so important to him to preach against sin? You want to know why it's so important for him to preach the Bible and to stand on the Word of God? and lead in a certain direction that you may not like, it's because it's our primary responsibility to hold up the integrity of His name and to defend Him. That way a lost and dying world can see that, hey, human beings may have their faults, but Jesus is perfect and He came and left heaven, died on the cross to pay for our sins, rose again on the third day, ascended up into heaven to give you salvation, sprinkle His blood on the altar of God as a payment for your sin, full payment, and if you'll accept Jesus, you can go to heaven and live with Him forever, and one day He's coming back to get you. That's why we lead and preach the way we do it's our job to defend him God put a cherubim at the garden of Eden with a flaming sword and that's what men of God are cherubim with a flaming sword we're God's angel sent on assignment to defend the Savior's name politics shouldn't ask true preachers to pray before political meetings if they don't want the prayer to be in the name of Jesus. Well, I've got to move on. Not only do they defend in danger, but secondly, they deliver in death. 
Somebody may ask, Pastor, what's your greatest responsibility? <laughs> it sure ain't moderating a business meeting. You know what my greatest responsibility is? You remember the story of the rich man Lazarus? Rich man died and was buried and lifted up his eyes being in torments in the flames of a literal hell. And then Lazarus, the Bible says, I heard a preacher one time says when, when, uh, when we die, Jesus comes to get us. And I, I, I looked and I looked and I couldn't find that in Scripture. But here's what I heard. Here's what I read in that story. It says, and Lazarus died and was carried by the angels into Abraham, into paradise. Glenn Payne, the, the uh, lead singer for the Cathedral Quartet, he was on his deathbed, and they were playing a tape of the cathedrals. And the song came on, What a Day That Will Be, When My Jesus I Shall See. And he began to sing, and as he sang the part, As I look, and then he stopped, and he looked up, and he said, Wow! Wow! And then he died. One day, if I don't get to see the rapture, I'll still see something that's just about as great. Out of heaven, coming right for me. I remember that old black preacher that wrote the poem. Uh, so the poem, I believe his, uh, well, I can't remember his name. I believe his last name was Johnson, but he wrote, uh, okay, he, he wrote, uh, and I can't remember the name of the poem, but in one po part of the poem, he talks about death coming down for the woman that's being talked about in the story, Sister Caroline. And it says as death came out of the clouds of glory down to Sister Caroline, she looks up, but death didn't frighten Sister Caroline. She looked at him like a welcome friend. And as they came down and took her up and laid her in the arms of Jesus, you want to know what my greatest privilege is? to preach the gospel to somebody. Why? Because I get to deliver them as the angel of the Lord from death to life. I get to bring them into the sweet, precious arms of Jesus. I can take you to places in Mississippi that I've preached and tell, show you people that I've led to the Lord that are on their way to heaven now because I got the privilege of leading them from death to life. I can take you to a mountain in Honduras if I could ever find it again and go up uh, walk up past ruins of, of old towns and see people that are out there in the backwoods of nowhere that ha have no town or civilization like we do and go out through the woods and show you little children that I got to preach to and I got to lead to Christ. I can take you to a little town that's broken down in the country of Haiti and, and go in and show you where I preached one day and several people got saved. Preacher, it's our greatest privilege to still go and knock on doors and tell people about Jesus. It's still our greatest privilege to lead people from death to life. You're having a bad day? Go witness. Is your church struggling? Go witness. If you fulfill your greatest privilege, you'll, you'll remember why you're in the ministry. Romans 10, 13 through 15, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how should they believe in, uh, in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? 
as it is written, How beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. Not only do they defend in danger and deliver in death, but secondly, thirdly, they die daily. They die daily. Notice this, Matthew 18, 10. Take heed that ye despise not one of these little ones. I already talked about that. For I say unto you that in heaven their angels... Now get the last phrase. Do always behold the face of my Father which is in heaven. Now I begin to wonder about that. What does that last phrase mean that they always behold the face of the Father which is in heaven? The only thing it can mean is that they have what's called an intercessory ministry. Wow. An intercessory ministry. Now, intercession is different from mediation. There's only one mediator between God and man. That's the man, Christ Jesus. Only Jesus can bring you from hell to the Father. A, a, a mediator brings you from earth to the Father. An intercessor goes to the Father on your behalf. That's the difference. Angels can't mediate. Only Jesus can. But angels have an intercessory ministry. I can see my guardian angel looking at me about to get in that wreck that day. Hey, Father, he's about to get in a wreck. Can I go help him? Go. Hey, Father, they're, they're being tempted. Can I go and help them? Hey, Father, they're about to get in this situation. They need rescuing. Can I go help them? And he sends them on assignment. They die to themselves. Angels have no concern for themselves. No concern. They care about their mission alone. Second Corinthians 4, 7 through 12. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. By the way, 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is the best, in my opinion, best chapter in the Bible for a preacher. I believe it's talking about preachers, the whole chapter. If you'll read that as a preacher, it'll mean a lot. It'll mean a lot to you. I encourage you to read it like you've never read it before and read it like God's talking to you. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also might be made manifest in our mortal flesh. So then death worketh in us, but life in you. Church people, you'll never know how many times your pastor is up at the altar at, at that church at 2 and 3 o'clock in the morning praying for you. When he's down at the altar on Sunday, maybe he's praying for you. You'll never know. how. If you want to know what he does for you, why don't you ask his wife how many times he leaves her to go and hold your hand? Why don't you ask his children how many times he's had to miss ball games and pageants and recitals and other things that, that his family wanted him to be, to be at so he can go and be with you? He can't have a life like you all do. He can't go on vacation like you do. He can't, he can't do anything like you do. And he misses out so that you can live. Because this calling's not about us. It's, it's about you. You better remember that the next time you disagree with one of his sermons and you want to go home and have roast preacher for dinner. 
You better remember that the next time you want to spit at him and yell at him. You better remember how much he's given up and died daily so that you might live. You better remember that. And thank God for it. Charles Jefferson said, Every good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Yet 1,200 preachers in the ministry leave the ministry a month. 75% of all pastors' wives wish their husbands would do something else. 50% of all preachers' kids seek counseling as adults. Three pastors committed suicide in the state of Florida this past year. I've known pastors who've taken their own lives, who have had nervous breakdowns. Let me speak to you preachers because I I don't want to sound doom and gloom. It sounds like I'm saying that the ministry has more burdens than blessings, but that's not true. It's a joy to die to myself. Remember I said the greatest privilege is to lead someone to Jesus. But you want to know what adds to that privilege? Watching the impact that they make. You nursery workers... Did you, you know what's so special about the nursery? You could be changing the diaper of the next Billy Graham. You could be wiping the nose of the next Bailey Smith or Junior Hill. The reason why we die to ourselves, preachers, is that they might have life and life more abundantly. And it's my pleasure to give up some things in my life so that my people can live. Because that's my burden. You know how it became my burden? It came to me from heaven. From the very heart of God, it became my heart. Not only do they defend in danger, deliver in death, and die daily, but also they duke it out with the devil. Something else, church people, you better remember. If a president, I mean, if if a country is going to be attacked... The devil attacks the president. That's why we have countries in the shape they're in today. If families are going to be attacked, you know who the devil attacks first? The husband. If he can get to the head, he can tear the whole thing up. You, know, you want to know who's on the front lines of the battle in the ministry? Pastors. Michael fought with Lucifer over the body of Moses. They duke it out with the devil. They're on the front lines of the battle. They step in front of the arrows so that you won't get hit. They duke it out with the devil. Pastors, let me say something to you. You better realize that and realize what's coming. You're on the front lines of the battle, and you don't have the option of backing up. The day you got called to preach was the day that the devil set his crosshairs on you. And he's after you. And he'll do anything as a roaring lion to tear you apart. They duke it out with the devil. Finally, they dance as the day draws near. They dance as the day draws near. Can you see the angels at Jesus' birth? Glory to God in the highest. On earth peace. Goodwill toward men. You really think they said it like that? Do you really think that they just gave a talk to announce the arrival of Jesus? This was the king of heaven. I can see him there. Glory to God in the highest. 
and on earth peace and goodwill toward men. Someone said about Billy Graham, all he does is hold up the Bible and shout. Amen. Amen. If someone ever says that about me, glory to God. I'll take it as a compliment and wear it as a badge of honor. I remember when my nephew, I was witnessing to him, and he got saved, and I'm telling you, I couldn't help it. I got so excited about it, I ran all the way around my grandparents' house just shouting to the glory of God. I didn't even know I was running until after I'd started. I've been in churches and the Spirit fell upon a place and God moved and I just got happy and I had to stand and shout glory. Why? Because Jesus said, From the abundance of the heart the mouth speaketh. You want to know why your pastor preaches loud? You want to know why he has a little pep in his step? Why he has a glory in his soul? Because I got under the spot where the glory comes out and it filled me up and I've got a message to deliver that I'm excited about. Can you see, I love Dr. Phil Hoskins' illustration. Can you see the day Jesus came home? He had been away for 33 years. And as Jesus, as Jesus rose from the grave, He spent 40 days past that here on the earth preaching and showing His glory. And then came the day where He was at the Mount of Olives ready to ascend back up to the Father. Can you see those angels? He's coming home today. He's on his way to the house. His throne that had been empty is about to be filled again. He's coming home. And I'm telling you what, I can hear in my mind and in my spirit and see the sights of the day Jesus came back to his throne. And I can just see the angels of glory playing every instrument at their disposal. Shouting to the top of their lungs, Hey, Jesus has come home. Do you want to know why there's an excitement in us as preachers? Because here's the greatest message we've got to preach now. Listen, the prophets had a great message that the Messiah was coming one day, that God's promise that he would bruise his head and Satan would bruise his heel was coming to fruition one day, that all the problems of their sin would one day be conquered. But that's already happened. That message is gone. That message is here in the Word of God. And we preach salvation, but we've got something to preach beyond salvation. Yes, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. Yes, Jesus rose up in the clouds of glory. Oh, but one day I've got an excitement that God gave me in my heart that one day the eastern sky is going to split and Jesus is going to come back down right where He went up and He's going to kick that eastern gate open that the Muslims have sealed up and they've said they want to stop the Messiah from coming. Jesus is going to kick it open and say, Hey boys, you couldn't stop me from coming. I'm here. I'm here. I'm here. He's coming back one day. That's why I get excited when I preach. Because I know I don't have to go through this life alone without any hope. I've got the hope of heaven, the hope of glory, and Jesus is coming back for me, and I'm going to meet Him, whether by death or whether in the air. And if you can't get excited about that, 
Are you saved? Jesus is coming back. For I am now ready to be offered, Paul said. And the time of my departure is at hand. I've fought a good fight. I've finished my course. I've kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord the righteous judge shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that love his appearing. And the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Brother Andrew, you come. If you're here, here's the invitation. Preachers, won't you love on one another? Encourage one another. People, if you're here and you're not a preacher, won't you find a preacher and just love on him? Obey him. Follow him. He's God's angel that he sent to that God sent to you. Sometimes he needs defending. Sometimes he needs to be prayed for. I thank God for people when the pastor's being attacked that they step in front of him and say, Hey, you